Hello, I'm Alan Collar, Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report, and joining me is James Thompson, Chonicle Economist at the Australian Financial Review, becoming a regular in the Money Cafe, I'm delighted to say. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. It's very nice to be back. And it's a beautiful day in Melbourne, and uh, we're at the Short Straw Cafe in Hawthorne, as usual, and um, uh, it's great to be here. Now, um, welcome again to the Money Cafe, James. Now, you've been in uh, Sydney at the... Um, the Financial Review Property yes, Summit. Yes, yes. Um, and you had a very interesting piece on that this morning, uh, quoting James Pellegrino of Domain. Uh, yeah. Saying yeah. that the problem is velocity, that yeah. we're not turning over housing enough, which is talking his book. He is talking is, his, he's definitely he talking his book. As I did say in the piece, he you is did. unquestionably talking his book. But it's an interesting idea that I hadn't really thought of, that if you get people moving through different properties at different times of their lives that sort of, the, the carousel turns faster for everyone and it opens the door. So, you know, if, if you get more people into smaller units and blocks early and then you get empty nesters out of their empty nests and into downsized uh, property faster, then it should turn things over quickly. And I, I sort of quite like the idea. It is, it's definitely yeah, good for domain. Is, what practical things do you need to do to achieve it? Yes. And it seemed to me it comes down to stamp duty. Yes, stamp duty is a big one. Some sort of incentives for downsizing. What does that mean? Well, I'll yeah, get, I we'll don't get know. back to stamp duty in a minute. But, <laughs> but but the incentives for downsizing. I'm a potential downsizer. Yes, haven't downsized yet. Still yes. got the, still living in the big house. Yes, empty bedrooms for the kids to come back to. If you, you understand. Yes, and of they do. You know, they do come and stay from time to time. Yep. Um, so, yes, uh, we're, we're not in much of a hurry to downsize, to be honest. Oh, fair enough. But um, so what – the question is what was what's going to prize me out of the joint? Uh, not sure. Would a stamp duty discount on your next property help or oh, something like that? I suppose it might. Um, so I, I guess that's the – that would be the question. I, I guess what I liked about Pellegrini's – Pellegrino's view is that he is sort of saying go through the bits block by block and come up with solutions but I mean this is the age old problem who owns housing affordability you've said this before Who's, whose job is it to worry about housing affordability and and the, the answer is no one's everyone's and no one's so well in fact um, the people who are in control of the, the, the levers on it are saying it's not our job yes like the RBA no, not interested. Yep. APRA, not interested. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of thinking about the housing ministers. I, I finished my 7.30 report piece by pointing out that there are nine housing ministers in Australia. What are they all doing? Yes. And the question is, what is their job? What What is the housing minister's job? Because it isn't really to deal with affordability. It's to – actually, I don't know what it is. Zoning and planning? I, I don't really That's know. the planning minister. Yeah, true, true. So, and I guess a lot of the zoning decisions are made at local government level, not federal government level. But yeah, yeah I mean, who is going to, what government is going to say, uh, let's, presume, let's presume you could find an incentive for downsizing, what government is going to say to the fine, upstanding uh, senior voters of Australia, it's, mm. it's time to move on, people? Mm. <laughs> I mean, no one. <laughs> and, and it's time to reduce the value of your main asset. Yes, that's right. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, on stamp duty, New South Wales has said they want to um, tran tra um, translate stamp duty into a land tax. Yes. So, so that it's sort of, in a sense, hypothecated. Yes. You know, it, it's spread over time. Yes. But they have said they can't do it without help from the feds because 
the hit to their revenue up front, like in, in the right. short term, okay, so would be great. too great. Yeah. Sure, I mean, it would be over time, over the, over the course of you know, the, the life of the decades, yep. the revenue would be the same, but, yep. the, but there'd be too much of a hit to their revenue in the short term, so yes. they can't do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so while, while it's nice in theory, they're not going to do it. I mean, I, I, I got asked during the week, um, you know, um, um, there should be some way of indexing stamp duty so that the, there's not a massive windfall to the state governments when house prices go up, yes. as they have done, 22% yes. Yes. in the past 12 months. Biggest increase, I think, in 12 months in history. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's this massive inflow of cash to the state governments. Yes. And, of course, they're just going, oh, thank God for that. Yeah. Well, after, the, after the previous 12 months, they yeah. need every dollar they can get. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a vexed issue, but... Does I, anything come, else come up at the summit I, that, I think the that's other, worth pointing the, out? The other really amazing thing to me is the there is there obviously industrial property is going well you know we're all being at home logistics it's all really important industrial you can understand that but office property they are still selling buildings on cap rates which are similar to yields you know broadly comparable four percent and tim church one of the big investment bankers in the uh, real est- commercial real estate space, he reckons 3% will be the next 4%. So you're, you're, you're seeing these massive buildings trading on four, on 3 and 4% yields, as it, 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 even as the threat of interest rates rising emerges. But aren't they half empty, these things? Well, With everyone, everyone working from home, what's going on? It, well, that's a really good question. So, naturally, you would be surprised to know that all the property uh, office landlords are very keen to get everyone back and and declare that the office is not dead. But but the number of deals they're doing suggests that it's not. They're, they're, you know, Dexus, which is one of our big office landlords, said they've done 340 deals over 200,000 square metres of space. Last year they did 220 deals over 140,000 square metres of place. They reckon people are coming back to the cities from the suburbs because that's where their customers are so and all the amenities are. So apparently the new normal is going to be working in the office two or two, two or days three. a week or something, yeah. working at home three days a week. So yeah. I suppose the pl- the office has to be there. Has to be there. For yep. that to happen, right? And and the, and, the, and the boss has to pay rent on it. He does. And, and not just that, but Charter Hall was saying they're trying to get more people back to the office but they can't because they need more space because of the space restrictions. So you need to have... Oh, so know, is everyone spreading out now? Yes, you, you oh. can't do hot desking or activity-based working where... I you thought know, that might be over now because... It is, you, know, you can't do it. So so Charter Hall, which was geared around that, they've had to go and lease another floor because you need the space restrictions, you need, you need extra room. So Yeah, but we haven't got COVID anymore. What's going on? Well, uh, the, the, the government restrictions still suggest that we are being... Safe, and of course we've seen a new variant this week, so we must be alert but not alarmed. So it's so, a fa- fascinating so, how it's going. So play there's been out. a step change in spacing requirements in offices that is not going back to the way it was. I think I'm not sure it's a step change. I think it's initial change, and and let's see where it lands. Because for every report like that, you hear a lot more reports of of CFOs saying downsizing. You know, less space. There's only ever going to be. 60% of our staff in, you know, we'll, we'll manage around that. So where it settles, it's going to be fascinating next year. I mean, I wonder. I wonder if it all just gradually drifts back and we all have meetings and stuff you've got to go into town for and it'll just find its right level. I know. Well, you don't want to be the one who's not in the meeting. 
Wow, great, great point. Tony Lombardo, the CEO of Lendlease, he, he made this point, you know, he started walking the floor of their headquarters every Friday morning. And he said, it's amazing how many people suddenly in on Friday mornings. Right. <laughs> so there is this thing that once the leaders come back, there will be a bit of FOMO. You don't want to be the one who's missing the meeting, missing that water cooler conversation and... You know, I had my um, perhaps I had, hurting your advancement chances. I had my book club meeting last night, and, right? And uh, I was the only one who showed up. The others were all on the bloody Zoom. So, <laughs> uh, so me and the the guy, the host, were sitting there in front of a screen with all the other oh. guys on a screen. Right? Did you know. it? Did it? Uh, it was fine. It was fine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I got all go. the cheese and wine. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> so they, they, everyone else had FOMO, I guess. They did. Yes. They so exactly maybe FOMO is the secret to everything. F- FOMO. So um, just on, on the subject of the pandemic, what do we think about Omicron? Well, I don't know. An investor uh, pointed out to me when it happened, pointed me to the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Association website, where there's a list of 14 variants. And I'd heard of Delta, but I hadn't heard of most of the others, and, and it was just a nice bit of perspective. Are they, all, are they all Greek alphabet? They letters? are, yep. Except really? for one from Brazil called Lambda or something. So, um, so you know, there's been Beta and Kappa and Beta Plus and Delta Plus, and and, and his point was, you know, why are you worried about this one? You, you, you didn't say a peep about the others, and it's not a bad point. So, someone I saw it described yesterday as headline tennis about about this new variant, sort of. It's bad. No, it's good. No, it's bad. No, it's good, which is quite a nice way of thinking about it. And I reckon we could play headline tennis to Christmas. Apparently it hasn't killed a single person yet. Yeah. And, and, and uh, so quite, yeah, quite, quite why it's why, – even why we should be worried is not quite clear to me. I mean, maybe it's more, uh, you know, it's more aggressive in the way it spreads, but not even that's certain at this stage. Uh, uh, yeah, well, so uh, I um – a cynic might suggest that it's the health industry's last-ditch effort <laughs> to regain control of the situation. Oh, come on. <laughs> you haven't been protesting on Saturday mornings, have you, Alan? <laughs> no. I, I think... It's all a conspiracy, Oh, mate. no. I think... Um, no, I'm, not, I'm actually not, not in that camp. <laughs> I, I think it's... Um, I, I think it's a good dose of reality in a way. Like, this is what we're going to get. We're going to get these little mutations and permutations and... We just got to get a booster every six months. It's you know, sort of. Yeah, I was thinking actually, that. it's interesting because um, one thing that's happened is we're all everyone's hypersensitive to epidemiology now. Yes, and you know, and virology. Um, whereas previously, before before COVID came along, you know, obviously the flu would have uh, mutated every year. Yes, yes. And we never knew. Yes. We just kind of went along and maybe got the flu shot and maybe didn't. Yep. And maybe got the flu, maybe didn't. But we had absolutely zero idea uh, what, what the mutations yes. of the flu virus were. Indeed. But now we're all over it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's scaring the shit out of us every day. <laughs> and, and to your point, how many of us went and got a flu shot this uh, year? I know I didn't. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> I've got my COVID shots. Oh, yeah, exactly. I, I did sort of think, well, I've got bigger, bigger things to worry about this year, but it'll be interesting to see in the future, now that we're all amateur epidemiologists, will we go back and get the flu shot like good soldiers every year? I don't know. Probably I, not. I don't know either. <laughs> um, yeah, we had the GDP numbers yesterday. Did you did yeah. you notice that? Were, One, you, were you pleasantly surprised? Minus 1.9%. Oh, yeah. well, um, the, the consensus forecast previous day from The Economist was 2.5%. Yeah. Um, so, and a couple of months ago, 
everyone was saying it was going to be 3.5%. And then they all kind of redid their spreadsheets and came up with 2.5% on, um, on Tuesday. Uh, and, um, and there it is, uh, 1.9%. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah. okay. Uh, um, I mean, net exports contributed 1%. Uh, and I think so. I think the big difference has been net exports, but also um, perhaps government spending has been a bit stronger than they thought, and you yeah. know, a few household household consumption wasn't quite as weak as expected. Yeah, it, it does feel a bit sort of not meaningless, but you know, next the next oh, quarter is going to be so different. It's no, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. It's yeah. completely meaningless <laughs> yeah. because you know it's just about the lockdowns. Yes, yes. that's it. And you, you, I mean, you know, it's always. You're always wary of going on anecdotes, but anyone who's been to a shopping centre in the last three weeks would know that, you know, the next GDP set of GDP figures are going to look so different. That yeah, that's uh, right. Well, there's so much money. I mean, the saving rate went up back up to 20%. There's, yeah. There's colossal amounts of cash sitting in bank accounts, yeah. earning absolutely um, uh, zero, almost zero interest. Yeah. So no one's going to keep it sitting there. No, no. It's going to be a lot of good Christmas presents given out. And the reason the guys couldn't make it to the book club last night was because of the traffic. Yes, yes, well. They got turned back. Really? It was, the traffic in Melbourne is horrendous. Yeah, well. So everyone's out and about. We, we did have a storm last night, we should point out. But, yeah, um, that that's right. Have, Correct. We had things. a thunderstorm, everybody. Yes. With, but, um, with actual lightning. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, it's the roads are full again. The, the, the one thing that's not full, and I've been going in a little bit more, is the city. It's still, it's oh, still, right? still empty. Oh, so I haven't been in the city for still dead. For I have not been in the city for two years. Yeah, well, virtually they're missing months. you. You need to go in and book a few restaurants and. Buy oh a few no, actually, Christmas sorry, presents. no, no. I was in speaking of restaurants. I was in there on Monday night. <laughs> well, there you go. There at the restaurant, and but it it's was, um, it was pretty lively. The restaurant was full. Yeah, the restaurant. There's sort of pockets that are full, but there's big pockets that are empty. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens. Yes. Um, now you've got a thing on your note, your uh, topics note here. Wealth sector. What? Yeah. Well, there's two. Go. Big, two, discuss. Two big bits of news that I reckon this week. We saw AMP had uh, its first strategy day, investor strategy day, under the new CEO Alexis George, and then Colonial First State, which was the has been part of Commonwealth Bank for a long time. Finally, after sort of a year. Uh, changed hands and is now 55% owned by KKR, the big um, private equity firm. So it's interesting that, I think there's two interesting things. One is that we're going back to the sort of 80s and 90s where these big wealth giants walked around independently before they were swallowed by the banks in what proved to be a disastrous um, little period for, for financial services. And then you've got all, you've got three, AMP, IWF, Colonial First State, all trying to reset their business, fix up their technology, you know, solve the problem of what advice looks like if you're not prepared to pay five and a half grand for a full financial plan. Um, So I think it's just, I think it's really interesting that we've got three companies trying to reset themselves at once without completely knowing what the end end point looks like. So what is the uh, what does advice look like? I have, I have no idea. This is such a good, such a fascinating question. Like I am, I think, I, you know, I'm 42. I've never been to a financial planner, and I, I wonder what I'm missing out on. But I don't think I need the sort of full five and a half grand because you know my life's not that complex. I've got a mortgage and super, and you know that's about it. But 
So, so what is the in-between product for me? And at once upon a time, I could have gone to a financial planner and he, and he or she would have told me, you know, given me a sort of cut-down version. But because of the compliance costs and the fact you can't push people into your own products anymore, that option's not available. It's just, you know, the price has gone up. So what's the affordable model look like? Robo-advice seemed to be the solution, but that's so I've, I've written a few times now that I, um, what I think should happen is that um, we end up that they're like doctors. Yeah. You go along and you pay 90 bucks for a visit. Yeah, okay. You know, and you say, oh, I've got this problem. Yeah. And help me sort it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, um, episodic. And, but if advice. you need to go along for a full checkup, right? That's another matter. Yes. And then if the if the doctor, wealth the the financial doctor, yes, thinks you need a specialist, yeah, you go okay. along to that. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that it, it you don't have to reinvent you don't have to reinvent the system. It seems to me, just copy the health system. Yeah. The problem is though. Problem is this that you, the compliance you, is involved. The problem also the other thing is Medicare. Well, doctors. This is uh, that's a really interesting point about compliance because. Doctors have heavier uh, compliance burdens than financial advisors. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but the compliance on the doctors is on the individual, and if they uh, if if a doctor um, takes a kickback from a pharmaceutical company, they're just rubbed out. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. But so the but the compliance with financial advice is on the company, and then right. the, and then it flows down to the advisor yep. who's employed. Right. But. Uh, and I think that's a huge difference. And the compliance on doctors is enormous. Obviously, they have to. They have to. Their educational requirements are enormous. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, the the uh, the regulator, the doc, the medical regulator is all over them. Yes. Yeah. You know. So, uh, but the difference, of course, is Medicare. So it's under half their. So they they get an under. They're underwritten. They're underwritten. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I don't know whether I don't think the government's ever going to have a. Financial Medicare, but um, yeah, well, I, I like your solution. I reckon you and I would pay a couple hundred bucks if necessary for a visit to the do- for a financial for advisor sure. for a couple for of sure. hours to sort out a solution, to sort yeah. out a problem you've got. Definitely, you know, um, yeah. and just pay by pay pay by the hour. And, and if we if we sort of understood that model a bit more, if we went and trusted the doctor to to keep yeah. running the analogy. We'd probably be then willing, once we got a relationship with them, to go and say, "I need the full checkup now." Sure. So exactly. that would, you know, and, and that's, a that bit you, more you trust. raise another point, which is the the difference in level of trust. So we all, yeah. I think, we all feel like we can just go to any doctor, yeah, and it'll be fine. Yeah, we do. You know, yeah. so we we have our own doctor. That's true, but you know, it's okay if we if we, if we move suburbs. Yes, we just or have you're to, on holidays. You're on holiday. You just go to the doctor, right? It's yeah. fine, and we know that. The system has vetted them, and yes. they're not crooks. Yes. We, we pr- pretty uh, pretty sure with financial advisors, we're not sure at all, and we're worried about it. Yeah, we're worried about whether they're a crook, and they're gonna they're gonna put us into something. Like I saw that there's this thing on um, the news the other day about all these old people who've lost all their money with something called sterling. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy, I mean it's terrible. Yeah, totally. You know, and they just they've lost they've lost all their savings. It, it, yeah. Now you're making me wonder if I should trust my doctor as much as I do. You should. <laughs> you definitely should. Yeah, fair enough. No, fair no, enough. I'm sure your doctor's a very fine person. <laughs> she is. She is, yes. Um, 
Yes, well, I think we're ready to move on to questions now. Yeah, great. Let's do that. Uh, I'll read the first one, then you can read the next one. Yep. First one says, Hi, Alan. Love the show. Long-time listener, first-time questioner. Excellent. Nick, your name is Nick, and uh, thanks for the question. I'm wondering about your thoughts on Polynovo and its recent share price movement. In early January, it reached $4 and has since gone down significantly. I realise this is due to COVID and the focus being taken away from other health concerns. However, however, travel and airline stocks, other industries seem to have staged a comeback. But small to mid-health stocks have been forgotten. PNV has also increased market share, didn't raise, didn't raise capital, and developed further products are still trailing. Other examples who did cap raise but increased market share in the sector included Volpara and to a lesser extent MVP. Uh, so curious to hear your thoughts. What do you reckon? Well, there is something specific going on at Polynovo. They, they lost their CEO in November. They parted ways with uh, Paul Brennan, who resigned. Uh, and the chairman, and I, I might just read this, uh, the chairman noted, uh, quote, increasing differences with the board in relation to Paul's interaction with the company's senior management and his management style. So I think there's something under the hood cooking. Well, there obviously is something under the hood cooking at Polynovo that's specific to that management team and business. And so it hasn't seen the same sort of uh, post-COVID bounce as some so of these anyone, other guys. Has anyone uncovered what that means? Uh, no, I, I, don't, I, I can't tell you what that means beyond that. But um, It's very mysterious. It is mysterious. It sounds like there's been a... Uh, sounds like he's a bully. Sa- well, it sounds like... Doesn't it? It sounds I like he hasn't got on with someone and he's out. He's probably going to sue me for defamation now. I mean, I'm not saying he definitely is a bully. Wouldn't I, I wouldn't have a clue. Well, he certainly has uh, some... Um, his, inter- his management style has been brought up as an issue by his chairman, so... There you are. There he's you out. Are. He's gone. He's gone. Yes. Uh, next question is from James. G'day, Alan. Love the show, especially since you've moved cafes. To the short straw, I imagine, he's talking about there. Yes, that's right. We used to be in the Saparito Cafe in Southbank because it was close to the ABC. Right. Yes, well, the short straw is beautiful. Um, I've been a hands-off type investor thus far with some ethically-minded managed funds like Australian Ethical and Hunter Hall. I'd like to get a bit more involved and put my money where my mouth is. How do I get involved with a company like Eden Brew, which has developed animal-free dairy products from precision fermentation, which at scale has the potential to be a game-changer in the ag sector? Uh, Norco Dairy Co-op have a stake, but for your mum and dad type investor, how do we... How do we do? We have to wait until the company gets listed, if at all. Keep up the good work. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, you can give them a call and say, "When are you doing your next round?" Yes, um, because these these efforts tend to do, you know, rounds of capital raising, you know, a year every year or so. Yeah, and, and there is sometimes funds that go in to these rounds that um, invest pre-IPO or something like that. So that might be a way in, but. Yeah, it, it's fairly complicated. Um, there might be rounds for sophisticated investors with over 500k. Yeah, well, that's right. They're, all those all those unlisted rounds. Yeah, tend to be for sophisticated investors. Yes. But you know, if you've got a if you've got a lazy hundred thousand sitting around, I'm I'm sure they'll be delighted to relieve you of it. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> so yeah, but it is difficult. That, that that is the thing about um small stage companies. It's hard to get in. Yes. Kunal says, hi, Alan. Really enjoy the weekly podcast. Find them informative and thought-provoking. I've been a long-time listener. Another first-time questioner. Excellent. Kunal, good to hear from you. There have been talks, about having, talks of having inflation due to having inflation. 
due to transition to renewable energy away from fossil fuels. So once we transition fully to renewables, does this mean inflation will be kind of split into two main streams? One, fossil fuels are currently managed by a few countries such as the likes that make up OPEC, in the case of oil and natural gas, but with renewables no country could keep its hold on them, hence cannot try and raise prices. This in turn would mean as the technology improves the price of energy would reduce, thus deflation. But on the other hand, due to climate change, I would think food prices would go up, resulting in inflation. And if the above is true, then would the global economy revert back to inflation levels pre-industrialisation? Hopefully I'm not missing something glaringly obvious in my thought process. What are your thoughts on this? Well, this is a big question. It is a big question. Huge. Uh, I think Kunal's issue is the time frames on which he's considering this question. So, yes, he's right that over time... Renewables will rise up and take over from fossil fuels, but that's probably a 20-year, 30-year story. And so in the meantime, uh, decreasing amounts of fossil fuels, the price of the, will send the price of them up, and so we are going to see inflation come from through that. And if you think about oil, is a great example. Oil's in 7,000 individual products across the economy, plastics and everything, you know, so many things. So... The, the rising oil price, as we produce less oil, will affect all sorts of different things, and it will particularly if, in, affect food prices. So as, as oil goes up, food prices are, should follow, you'd think, and so we should see inflation from those two sources in the short to medium term, and then in the long term, renewables should help bring energy prices down. But Absolutely right. I think, and, but, but I, would, I would also add... That you could drive yourself mad trying to work this out. <laughs> I mean, it's so complicated. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, one thing you could say is that um, uh, renewables are already driving the price of energy down. Yes. Uh, because uh, during the day when the sun's shining, the price of electricity tends to be zero or close to zero. Yeah. Um, and it's obviously when the sun goes out, the sun goes down, uh, goes back up again. But the price of electricity has come down. But I think uh, my view overall is that overall, climate change is going to cost money. Yeah. You know, it's either it's going to cost us because we're trying to do something about it and we're investing in stuff and we're, uh, we're, uh, and we're putting a carbon tax on. Australia's, I think we're uh, a little bit insulated because we've, you know, we've, uh, the government is so kind of against the carbon tax. Um, but there's emissions trading schemes all over the world mm. now which are adding to the cost of carbon, yeah, and uh, therefore everything. The the European ETS price of carbon is currently a hundred dollars Australian per ton. Yeah, and so that actually goes on to the price of anything that uses carbon. Yeah, so that adds to prices. Yes, um, and yeah. as you say, oil has gone up um, because you know there's a there's a shortage or there's a growing shortage of it. Um, so yeah, look, I think it's kind of. Um, complicated and Kunal um, yeah yeah I mean Kunal's right that technology tends to be a deflationary force over time but yeah the de- the decarbon the energy transition is going to be hugely expensive and it's not going to be governments who pay for it it's going to be consumers yeah so and the other way in as which, they should and the other way in which climate change increases prices is simply by happening not by yeah. You know, not by us trying to do something about it, but but climate change is going to, is happening. Right? Yes, we've yeah, already uh, increased 
temperatures by 1.1 to 1.2 degrees over uh, pre-industrial temperatures, it's definitely going to whiz past 1.5. I mean, that yeah. is going to that is going to put up lots of all sorts of costs, including, as Kunal says, uh, food. Yeah, food's a great example. The other example you could go and look at right now is your insurance policies. Yeah, they're all going up because of climate change. The yeah. risks in the from the weather are so much bigger than they were a decade ago. Yeah. Uh, last question from Sean. Dear Alan and guest, I was wondering if you still had a bottle of Lark whiskey in your drinks cabinet and if you still recommend it as a tipple and is that neat, on the rocks or mixed? Uh, the share price of Lark Distillery has done well this year. What are your thoughts? Is the company worth double what it was six months ago? That's an internal question of the well, small cap stock. He segued nicely from the whiskey itself yes. to the company. Yes, I have Lark whiskey. I love it. It's great. Right, okay. Um, and, of course, one drinks it neat. <laughs> no go. ice. <laughs> you don't put anything with it. Um, possibly a drop or two of water, but that's it. Um, as for the company, it's a fantastic company. It's really I well, don't know a lot about it, yeah. It's a really well-run business. Um, but what you're buying with like Distillery is you're buying the whiskey they've got in storage. Yeah, okay. And so... And that's increasing all the time. So it's it's they've got all this whiskey sitting in barrels yep. that's maturing, right? Yep. And that's what you buy with the company. That's you know the, essentially that's it. Yeah. And the reason the stock price has doubled is because they're increasing the amount of whiskey they've got in barrels, right? Enormously, right? Uh, and it's likely to double again over the next twelve months. Okay. And they're finding a market for all that whiskey. And so the whole and we should all understand this. The whole strategy of Lark Whiskey, Lark Distillery, is to be taken over by Diageo. Right. Yes, okay. That's the plan. <laughs> yeah, right. But it won't happen for a few years because, uh, well, there's, there's, I think there's three global uh, liquor companies. There's Diageo. Yep. There's Perno, I think, Perno Liquor. Perno Ricard, Ricard, yep. And one other, I can't remember the name uh, of it. Hennessy, um, LVMH. Yeah. And so the, the corporate plan is to set up an auction between them in... Uh, whenever, whenever that's possible. But the thing is that these big companies, these big global companies, um, only buy. Uh, they do buy regional distillers like Lark Distillery, but they have to be a certain oh, size. Okay, gotcha. So gotcha. they won't buy them. They won't buy Lark when it's this size. Right. So what Lark's doing is to build up its and the, and the way they measure the size of the distillery to be taken over is by the amount of whiskey they've got in barrels. Right. And so uh, Lark. Uh, is trying to get to that size. Yes, okay. And it'll take about three years. Right. So are you helping them by depleting the amount of whiskey that they've got in the barrels by your uh, nightly, your, your nightcap, or are you... Um... Well, I, I, I'm doing my best. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> good. But we shouldn't just leave the, you know, we shouldn't, you know, shouldn't buy any, we should not go on strike so Lark's barrels continue to rise. No, of course not. I mean, because the more whiskey you buy them, the more they can afford to, course, to, yes. to make more whiskey. And, right. You know, so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a virtual circle that they <laughs> get into. Um, so, look, it's an interesting story. Uh, I, I, I dragged all this out of the CEO when I interviewed him. Yeah. Do you remember how long ago that was, Greg? No. It was earlier this year I interviewed the CEO and I, when going into the interview, I didn't really understand the business model. And as the interview went on, was went for about half an hour. You got very clear. I, I understood <laughs> yeah. and, and sort of extracted it from him that it's all about being taken over by one of the globals. Well, look, I mean, having an exit plan is something that 
lots of businesses don't have. So it's good good he's thinking about it. Yeah, well, and of course, you know, if one of the globals don't take them over, they'll be fine. Yeah. You know, they're making plenty of money and all that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, if, but if they do take them over, it's a big cash exit for everybody. So there you are, everybody. That's a... You could call that a stock tip, I guess. Yeah, um, that's a distilled, uh, <laughs> distilled version of the um, Lark story. I love it. <laughs> you should do it. You should do a shot of clear item one day. Yeah, I'm, well, I, I think to, they're a great. After business. a few bottles, might be the way to go. <laughs> well, that's it for today. Thanks very much, James. Thanks, Alan. Uh, and thanks everyone for listening. Um, uh, if you've got any questions, send them into themoneycafe at eurekareport.com.au. And we'll get to them next week. Until next week, I'm Alan Kohler, Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report. And he is James Thompson, Shonda Clear columnist for the Financial Review. 